Good. Amen. Let's give our worship team a hand. They do it. They do a great job. They put a lot of work into that every week. This is not just something they show up on Sunday morning and put that together. They 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 rehearse during the week. They work on it outside of here. I'm sure there's practice that goes on just so they can come and with excellence lead us in worship. So I'm thankful for that. Can I can I tell y'all that when I get up here to preach, I never get up here intentionally trying to offend anybody. Can y'all realize that? What, do y'all understand that? Can you embrace that? Somebody say no. Who said no? I'm preaching. I'm a, <laughs> I've got one for you today. No, um, I, I don't. I don't get up here to intentionally try to offend anybody. So I try to genuinely preach, thus saith the Lord. That's my desire and my goal. So when I preach something, let me, let me, there's two rules to listening to me preach, okay? First rule is this. If I say something that could be taken two different ways, one you might be offended, one you're like, okay, I give him the benefit of the doubt. You always take the, give me the benefit of the doubt, okay? No, always, always, always side on the sake that I'm, he's just not trying to tick me off, okay? Rule number two is see rule number one, okay? So I, I, I just say that. I don't know why I say that this morning. Listen, to, this morning is, is it's, it's funny. We've had a lot of passages that are just difficult, and uh, sometimes they can, they're, they're just passages that can be hard, and, you, and you, as you study them, they're, they're hard to get to. What does, this, what does this really mean? What did it mean then? It can't mean for us today what it didn't mean for them then. So we have to, we have to get to the core of what was the Lord teaching there. So I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll pick up in, in our study uh, here where we left off several weeks ago. We finished up with chapter 10. We now move into chapter 11 and uh, we're going to look at the first 16 verses this morning here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And um, I, I pray, my prayer, I'm going to pray in a, in a few minutes, I'm going to pray for us in this. But my prayer is that I don't muddy up the waters. Somebody's already been through the creek, it's already muddy. I'm just praying I don't muddy it up anymore, okay, that, that we can get to some clarity in this, in this passage and some, some understanding of what this means for us today, okay? So here's the title. I would give this this morning is, is a proper view of head coverings. Right? So that's the, if you're familiar with this passage, you know that's what we're looking at is head covers this morning. So, so Miss Susan, you're prepared. You've got something around your neck. You can throw that up over your head. You may be the only spiritual one here this morning. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an issue that it creates, I don't know that it creates a lot of division, but there's a lot of different ways that this is viewed. There's a lot of different ways this is practiced. I was in Jamaica several years ago, and the people there, what was interesting is there were people who didn't wear clothes during the week. I mean, they didn't wear clothes during the week in the village right there, and then Sunday morning, they're dressed to the nines. And the women who lived in just, it was absolute poverty where we were visiting, but when they came into church, they had on, you wouldn't believe the dresses. It looked like the antebellum, antebellum South. The, the fancy dresses and the big hats. They all had hats on. And they, they wore that. They wouldn't come into church without those hats on. So there was, there was, a, there was a teaching apparently there or in that culture that this, this was very applicable uh, to them today. So this is what we're going to look at. So let's read. I'm just going to begin by reading these verses. And then we'll pray and get into this. First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Imitate me, Paul says, just as I also imitate Christ. Now, that's a bold statement to say. That's a, that's a man who is, is right with the Lord. He's, he's walking with the Lord. And we know, we know the character of the man that Paul was. And so Paul is telling them, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying and prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that, is, uh, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn or shaved. But, it, but if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man." 
For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For a woman came for as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory uh, to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Now, we just came out of Christmas, and many of you uh, still had the, you, you were still maybe late up on Christmas Eve preparing some Christmas presents. You might have been putting something together, and a lot of times when we're doing that, I can remember times where there was something I needed to put together on Christmas Eve, and you start unpacking it out of the box, right? And you probably run into this, and you, you think, this is not going to take long, and I'll, and I'll be able to go to bed. And you start unpacking, and there's there's screws over here and there's bolts over here and there's parts over here and you're, you're bringing this out and there's this instructions that you need a PhD to read the instructions. So us men, we throw that out from the start and just start putting things together. But what happens is, you know, I felt like this as I began to study this passage because I, as I began putting this together, I discovered that it was going to be harder than I anticipated and probably take longer than I had hoped. A lot like those Christmas mornings, uh, early mornings, putting things together. So as we begin on this this morning, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, I pray, God, that you would just uh, bless in this time now as we open your word. Lord, there are truths this morning that we, we can learn, things that we can apply to our lives, God, that you want us to apply to our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would give wisdom, you would give clarity to uh, what is a, a difficult passage as we read it. It's difficult on the surface to understand what is going on and what is being said here. And Father, I know the heart of our people. Uh, the heart of our people is to be obedient to your word. God, we want to live our lives in a way that conforms to your word, that, that is as you would have us to live. So Father, I pray that you will reveal truth this morning uh, through this message. Give me uh, wisdom, guide my thoughts and my speech. You know, Lord, I've labored over this, and I pray, Lord, you'd help me to communicate it now. And if there's things in this that I've prepared that you don't want me to say, then, Lord, bind me from saying that. But give me, give me, Lord, words that you do want said. I just pray, Lord, that you will speak this morning through your servant. And, Father, we'll praise you, and we'll thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's the question. <clears throat> Here's the question as we begin this. Should women wear head coverings in church or not uh, wear head coverings? And the answer is yes. Okay, so we'll pray and dismiss and go home. The answer is yes. We should or we should not. Okay, there's your answer. So here, here's how I'll start. Do, do, we, do we disagree sometimes? I'm sorry. Do we disregard sometimes things that are in Scripture simply because uh, they're not observed anymore. Sometimes there are things that we go, well, we don't do that anymore, so that doesn't apply to today. Now, there are some things that we can, and I'm going to mention this, but the, the danger is we go, well, that doesn't fit in up with us today, and others aren't doing that, so we shouldn't do that. We have to be careful that we don't just throw something out because, because we're not practicing it anymore. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, fasting. Scripture is very clear, very clear on fasting. It's not, a, it's not a situation where we can go, oh, well, that was cultural. We don't have to fast anymore. No, the Lord made it very clear. said, when you fast. Didn't say if you fast. said, when you fast. And yet the truth is, most Christians today don't fast. We, we, there's, if we did a survey, a blind survey in our church, I imagine that number would be very low of how many of us actually fasted, for, not, not because we're on a weird diet, but because we were fasting for the sake of, of, spiritual, of a time of spiritual enlightenment, or in, in, seeking the Lord in something and fasting. So there's not a lot of fasting that goes on, and yet we know that's something we should do, right? So we don't just throw fasting out. How about foot washing? You know, foot washing was a thing, it was, it was absolutely cultural to that day. 
They wore sandals. They walked on filthy roads. They come into a home. They would take their sandals off. Their feet are just nasty. So the, the cultural thing was they would have someone there to wash feet as people came into the room. And, and, and it, was, it was absolutely a needed thing. We don't culturally... We, we, we don't wash feet today, right? When somebody, do not come to my house expecting me to wash your feet. <laughs> now, I may serve you in other ways, but uh, I'm not saying I won't wash your feet or I wouldn't wash your feet. Just don't come to my house expecting me to wash your feet. It's probably, it's going to be like with the disciples at the last meal. I'm just not going to do it. So uh, it, that's probably the truth of it. But here, here's the thing. That was a cultural thing. And yet here's what's strange is we may see more foot washing in churches today than we do fasting. Because we've embraced it as it's some spiritual thing that we do. When the Lord washed their feet, what was He doing? He was serving. He was humbling Himself. He was showing them, here's what you should do. Not wash their feet. It wasn't, the, it wasn't to set a precedent of, hey, I'm going to show you, Raymond, how spiritual I am and how I serve you. I'm going to wash your feet here. Now, that's not to say that I would not do that. I think there's a time where that is a very, a very practical, applicable way to serve someone. I think there's a place for that. I just don't think it's something that, I mean, it's not a cultural thing that we have to do, right? It's not a spiritual thing. It doesn't make us any more spiritual. And yet there is, there's more of that going on in some churches than there is fasting. How about this one? How about greeting with a holy kiss? You know, that's in the scriptures. We don't do that anymore. Y'all vote for that one? Who's ready for that one? Some of you don't even want to look at people, you know, it's like, ah. No, so, I mean, we, who wants to give a holy kiss? Have y'all seen Cliff? That's not to mean he's not a handsome man, but he ain't to me, okay? <laughs> I don't want to give him a holy kiss. So there's some things, though. So we have to understand, look, we've got to get to the core. When we're studying Scripture, you've got to get to what it meant then. What was going on then? Why were they doing it? What were they doing it for? You know, what's the whole issue? And that's what we want to look at this morning. So as we get here to chapter 11, this morning's text represents a transition in the letter that, that, that Paul's writing. Now, we break it down into little pieces, and we dissect it, and we look at that. Paul wrote the letter. It's one big, long letter that he's, that he's dealing with. They probably had to break it down the same way as they're reading through it. But I promise you, they didn't have to wrestle with it the way we do, because they knew exactly what the culture, they knew exactly what Paul was saying, they knew exactly what it applied to, and all that. So we, that's where we have to work through and figure out some of these things. But we're having a shift now as we get here to chapter 11. And, and this is a shift from the, the life of the church in the world to the life of the church in the church. That's what we're going to be dealing with. So chapters 11 through 14, Paul addresses several different issues in the life of the church, uh, such as head coverings, the Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts, prophecy, and tongues, and, and orderly worship. These are things over the next five chapters that he's going to look at. There were problems as the church is gathering as the church and the things that they were doing wrong, and Paul begins to correct those. So verse 2 and then verse 16 clearly set this passage in this context of, of, of dealing with the things within the church. Verse 2, he says, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Now, they, they, they remembered, he commends them. I praise you, brother, that you remember me. You remember me in all things and keep the traditions. That's what Paul's saying. Now, Paul's telling them, he's commending them for remembering his apostolic authority. You're remembering what I taught you. And they're remembering Paul's apostolic teachings the traditions that he had passed down. It's not just the ordinances of baptism. When we talk about that word traditions can be translated as ordinances. It's the, it's the, same, it's the same idea there. And so when we think of ordinances in the church, we think of the Lord's Supper and we think of baptism, the two, the two ordinances that we continue. And this word trans, tra, traditions is sometimes translated in a negative connotation that there, there are traditions of men, there are traditions that were handed down, things that should not have been or whatever, and it's a negative connotation. This is not what Paul's saying right here. 
Paul's saying, look, I commend you because you remember me as an apostle. You remember the authority that I have as God's man in the things that I taught you. You remember these traditions. And what he's talking about, again, is not just the Lord's Supper and baptism. And it's not even just traditions of men that have been handed down. He's talking about the teachings that were necessary for a new church and for new believers. You understand, this is a new church. This is an area that never had a church. This ain't like, uh, we're going to have Second Baptist Church in Geneva. Somebody's going to start it. We have a church here. There's a Baptist church that meets right over there. It's not like we, we have people that already understand these things. This is an area Paul goes into. He wins some people to Christ, and then he establishes a church. And as people are being won to Christ, he's bringing them in. They're discipling people. They're teaching them all the doctrines of the faith. That's what he's talking about. It's the things that are being taught to those people. It's the things that were taught in that church. This is how we are to do church. And they were remembering those things. But as we know, let's go back again. Corinth was a vile culture. Amen? Amen. We talked about that. It was a, it was a sexualized culture. It was, it, Corinth was a lot like America, and the more we study this, the church in Corinth was a lot like churches in America today. The same issues they had... We find in our churches still today. So God is so good in giving us these things that Paul is addressing because we see how Paul addressed them so we can apply them to our churches today. But you got to understand, this was a vile culture, a sexualized culture. It was, it was much like today in the things that we... You, I can't believe where we've gotten to. Probably the last, in the last two years, the last, you, you, it's amazing the slide, in the last five years, in the last ten years, and, and, it, and it's been going on for, for decades. But it is moving, it's, it's incredible how this snowball is rolling downhill now with where we're at in America. This is the culture that Paul had won those people from. So they have a lot of baggage as they come in as a new believer. Any of you can relate to that? When you first got saved, you love the Lord, you want to do right, but there's a lot of things you don't know. And even as you learn the right things to do, doing the right things that you know to do are still a challenge because we still struggle with the old nature and the, and the old ways. So Paul now is saying, he commends them for that, that they're keeping the things which he's taught them. Then verse 16, but if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. So the Corinthians are encouraged to conform their worship practice to that of the universal church. And so thus, the primary focus of the passage is about how the church can please God in worship. I would say that this is the main purpose of the passage we're going to look at today is right here what I'm going to tell you. This is, this is what I believe is the main purpose. Paul is calling the church to evaluate its worship practices to ensure that all due attention is being drawn to God. That's where the attention ought to be. And not, or, or, or then that there's no undue attention being drawn to the members of the church. See, we don't come in here to, to, to see everybody else. You're not here to get attention, or you shouldn't be here to get attention. We're here to worship the Lord. He should get our attention. And the songs that we sing are not about me. They're about Him. Not singing it because it's my favorite. Not singing it because it makes me feel good. We're singing it as our worship back to Him. As Pastor Aaron has shared, our, our audience is an audience of one. It's not us trying to sound good for each other. We should be singing these in our, as, as we return this praise to the Lord Jesus Christ and God Almighty. Amen? Yeah. And that's why we do that. So he's setting this tone for the way things should be done in church so that the attention is brought, brought to God. It is on him, not on members in the church. We don't want to draw attention to ourselves. Now, I wanna, I'm going to read Galatians 3.28 right here. Because it kind of sets the tone. Because one of the things that they were dealing with as they had been saved, if folks were coming into faith in Christ, they were understanding their, their freedom in Christ. And we're going to talk more as this passage goes on about the, the freedoms that women had that they didn't have in that day. I mean, it was, look, folks, it was scandalous. It was scandalous. Christian worship and the women's role in that was scandalous in that day. It was unheard of. The things that went on. People say today, Paul was a, he was, he was a, what's the word? A male chauvinist. Are you serious? Paul, Paul, the Lord Jesus Christ through Paul and through the way they established church, when God established church and through Paul's teaching there, it was revolutionary. 
what went on for women. It was freeing for women. It was, it was empowering for women. And so women now, these women who had gotten saved, they're coming into church. One of the verses, I'm sure they would have, one of the things, the teachings they would have embraced on was this liberty we have and this oneness, this unity we have. Galatians 3.28, for, for there, uh, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So that's a verse that they would have held on to that, that man, now we are free to worship But what happens sometimes with these things is I have a freedom. Sometimes the pendulum swings too far the other way. And now we take our freedom into now my liberties and my rights. And we begin to, we can begin to abuse those things. We've already seen that in the first 10 chapters. Abuses that Christians had of their liberties. So we're going to look at that. So perhaps they understood their freedoms in Christ and the oneness of, of male and uh, male and female in the new creation of salvation in Christ Jesus. But it would appear they were forgetting the order God had established in the creation. That's really the gist of where the problems come in here is they're saying there is neither male nor female now. We are all one. We are all same. Let me read to you what, um, what uh, is this Ironside? Ironside. Ironside said this. He said, in the new creation, now he's not talking about new heaven, new earth. He's talking about salvation. In the new creation, when we become a new creation, when we're born again. He says, in the new creation, as already intimated, there are no distinctions. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all one in Christ. We are all sinners alike. Amen. We have all been redeemed alike. We are all indwelt by the Holy Ghost alike. We have all been baptized into one body alike. And and so all these distinctions vanish and we think of one another as members of Christ. But this does not alter the fact that we still have one place or we still have our place in nature and must maintain that place. So that's what we're going to get to this morning. So look at verse 3. Verse 3 here. And so just like the main purpose is that, the, 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 that in the worship service, God gets the attention. He gets the proper place. We're not taking attention from him to ourselves. I believe that this verse, verse 3, is the key verse in this passage. It says in verse 3, it says, But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Let's read that again. But I want you to know that the head of every man is who? My head, every man, your head, your head, your authority in your life is Christ. The head of woman is? Man, some of you are mad right now. You're, you're already mad. You're mad. Don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at me. I, I'm just, I'm bringing the message. God said it. They'll talk to him, okay? The head of, every, of woman, the head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Okay, so I want you to notice there that, that it puts us, there's, there's a line of authority, right? That's what, that's what he's saying. It's nothing new to us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 30, uh, we know this verse well. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, now listen, we read that verse. I want, I want y'all to answer this honestly, ladies. How many of you, as we read that verse, this passage in, in 1 Corinthians 11, how many of you, as we read that, felt like, boy, this is really targeted toward the women? How many of you felt that way? Anybody? Nobody? Y'all are so spiritual. Y'all are good. Y'all are good. Because here's the fact. When we read that, it is easy for that to feel like that is, man, this is really targeted toward women. This is heavy against women right here. But the fact is, except for one verse in there, every verse in there has two sides to it. There's a, there's a part that, that the Lord is teaching to women. And there's a part that the Lord is teaching to men. And he's talking about our place and our roles. So we continue here. Husbands love, So wives are to submit to their husbands. Look, what, look at the husband's role. Husbands love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. How are we to love our wives? How are we to lead our wives? We're supposed to be willing to die for them. We are to defend them. We are to protect them. We are to provide for them. That is a heavy burden. That is a heavy burden. 
but it's a burden that God has put on men. So I don't hear, you know, I do hear men whining, actually. We just don't, we don't verbalizely whine about it. We just, men just don't do it. And because they don't want to do it. But that is, that is the call that we've been given by God is to love our wives as Christ loved the church, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh nor, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Though Paul didn't write Ephesians until several years after he wrote this letter to the Corinthians, I have no doubt that he had taught these principles when he taught the traditions to the Corinthians. They understood the role of a husband and a wife. They they had been taught these things. But he certainly sums it up in one verse here, verse 3. He sums up what we just read there in Ephesians. But but I want you to know that that, that the, the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. It is setting up these God-given lines of authority. You with me? We just preached on this several weeks ago. We talked about God-given authority, and we, and we talked about this. So verse 4, now we get into the application of this. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. Just covering, so, so every man prophesying or praying, praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. Now, does that make any sense? It makes no sense at all. Why would me wearing a hat, if I had a hat on this morning, what dishonor does my head experience? Does my head go, hey, body, you're being stupid right now. You know, you're dishonoring me. This is No, no, no. That's not what he's saying. What did we just read in verse 3? Who is my head? Christ. Christ is my head. So, does, so the verse says, every man praying and prophesying, having his head covers, dishonors Christ. Dishonors his Savior. That, that's what the verse is saying. So I'm praying and preaching with my head covered. I dishonor Christ. Some men were, marrying, were wearing head coverings and or growing their hair out in a way that reflected, listen, the attire worn by pagans in idolatrous worship. A lot of what was going on in Corinth was they were bringing in worldly sinful practices into the church. They were trying to incorporate it. It was, it was an attempt to assimilate idolatrous culture in the church. Paul's addressing that. You know, men, don't don't grow your hair out. Men, don't wear a hat on your head. When you do that, you dishonor your head, your your head, Christ. Christ is the head of the man. That's what he's saying right here. Verse 5, but every woman or wife, some of your translations, you'll read that. This is the, the word woman there is woman or wife. And it can be, it, but I believe that the context of it is speaking of the marriage relationship. So we're still looking at marriage relationships within the church and the way this is approached. Verse 5, but every woman or wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Now, uh, for, for, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. Who is her head? Man, her husband. So if she's married, it's her husband. If a woman's not married, she's still not just, you know, queen of the world. You know, it's not that, well, I don't have a husband, so I don't submit to anyone. There's still authority, and within the church, there's authority of man. Man is the authority within the church. Don't get mad at me, okay? Please don't get mad at me. Hear me out. Here's what was happening. Her head here is her husband. So if a woman is in church, she's, she's married, she's prophesying, she's praying, and her head is uncovered, what it does is it brings dishonor on her husband. She should be covered when she does that. Some women, so here's what was going on. Some women were deliberately avoiding or abstaining from the common cultural practice of wearing their hair up and or wearing a covering of some sort on their head during worship. Okay, that was the common cultural practice of that day. Verse five assumes this, says this, every wife who prays or prophesies. Now, you know, some would say women should just sit in church and be quiet. 
They should never speak. And, and there's, you can take that verse. There's a verse that says that, but you have to take the verse in context. And, and, and you've got to look at what's meaning. We'll get to that later, and we'll deal with that later. It's not, it's, it, it's, it has nothing to do with women not being able to pray in church. In fact, I called on Miss Linda Hancock during a, a, mission, a mission prayer to pray, and she didn't want to pray. She said, oh, pastor, I shouldn't. So she, she's, she's of that, maybe that, that some of that older teaching. Some of that would have been a woman's got to be silent in church. No, I don't believe that. You're a, you're a sister. She can pray. She can prophesy. Now, prophesy is not talking about pastoring the church, not talking about standing in the pulpit and taking authority, preaching with authority to the men in the church. It's talking about teaching. And there's no room. Our women teach over here. Our women teach children. I teach in a lot of areas. So here, praying is talking to God about people. Prophesying is talking to people about God. It's that simple. We can break it down that way. So this contrasted. For women now, think of this. For women at this time to be able to pray and to, to, to teach within the context of the local church, that was, as I said before, it was scandalous. This... this this contrasted with Jewish synagogue worship where women were not even considered full members and were required to sit behind a veil. Women weren't even allowed to be in the same area. They, they, they had to be separated by a veil. Women couldn't even count towards starting a synagogue. And, and we've seen that. You know, you'd have to have at least 10 men. You had to have 10 men to start a church, start a synagogue. I mean, we saw this in, in Philippians, in Philippi there when with Lydia, where, when Paul came in, he wants to know where they're worshiping, where they gathered, where the women worshiping. The women were worshiping down by the river. And they were doing that because there was no synagogue in the city. They, they couldn't even go to the synagogue because there weren't enough men serving God to start a synagogue. And they couldn't start it. If they had 20 there, it wouldn't have mattered. 50 there, it wouldn't have mattered. So they were not seen as equal in, the, in, in Judaism. In the Christian church, however, women were, were to be full congregational participants in the worship service. And it was unheard of in that day. Christianity recognizes the full equality and interdependence of the sexes. Both were made in the image of God. Amen? Amen. So Genesis 1.27 tells us, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Paul calls on the Corinthians to recognize this interdependence here in verses 11 and 12. Look down there. Nevertheless, neither uh, is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, how did woman come from man? She was taken, Eve was created not from the dust of the ground, but a rib. God did surgery, opened up Adam, took a rib, and created woman from the rib. She was made from him in his likeness. And so she was made from him. Even so, man also comes through woman. How does man come through woman? Birth. So there's an interdependence. Woman was created from man. Man is birthed from woman. And so we, we can't say, I don't need you, and I don't need you. It's, it's not. There's an interdependence there. But all things are from God. So Eve created from Adam. Man birthed by woman. We need each other, always have, and always will. Amen? Amen. Man, guys who, who, who say, I'm never getting married. Ah, oh, man, I don't know how you can make it. I was not complete until I met and married Gina. I wasn't complete. I, I wasn't. It was, she, she completed me. Not that a rib was added back. You know, the rib was there. But, but it's, it, it, we, there is something missing in us men that, that only a woman can feel. Verse 6, for if a woman is not covered, we go back to this now. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn or shaved. But if it, is, if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. Paul is insinuating that some women were throwing off the, cultural, the common cultural practice of wearing their hair up uh, or wearing a covering of some sort of their heads during worship. That was the common cultural practice in the church at that time. They wore their hair up. They wore their hair. They were covered. They wore a veil. It wasn't, it wasn't like Sharia law. It wasn't that type of a thing where they were completely. But it would have been a veil. It could have been a shawl. It could have been something simple that was just up over their hair. It, then their hair we're going to see the hair is the glory of a woman. And, and when they let that down, it's, 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 it's expressive for a reason. So they felt as though they had freedom in their worship. They did. Women had now been brought into worship as never before in history. They had been, they had been 
there was freedom given. They had been emancipated in that sense. It was, it was amazing what God was doing in this. And so they had freedom in worship, and they allowed their hair to hang down on their shoulders. They were throwing off the norms of, of that day, of what was common. We must understand that the cultural norm, whether in the church or even in the Greco-Roman world, was for a woman to wear not necessarily a full veil, but a shawl to cover their heads. They were throwing off that cultural norm and letting their hair down. Now, if I say someone's letting their hair down, what, what, does, that, what does that mean? Somebody tell me. Well, I'm going to tell you, the younger generation has a different take on it than the older generation. What is it? it they're going wild, right? That's the, anybody, how many agree with that? They're going wild. They're letting their hair down. That's the idea. I, so I looked that up. I thought, this comes from this verse. It's got to. Because that's the idea here is they were letting their hair down. And and what that means, the phrase letting your hair down, it means to behave in an uninhibited fashion or relaxed way. And when it says relaxed, uh, because I asked some younger folks, they said it kind of means you're chilling or relaxing. Yeah, it does mean relaxing, but it's not like relaxing at the beach. It's more the idea of relaxing your, your morals. It's more like relaxing you know, the, the, what's right and wrong. It's kind of dropping your guard. It's uninhibited behavior. So, so it is that connotation of, boy, they're letting their hair down. But I looked it up, and it comes from around the 1600s. And, and the, the, I don't know, but probably in England. But in 1600s, the women wore their hair in these extravagant... I think this is what I think we should do today. They wore their hair up. They looked like Marge Simpson, and they had hair about two feet high above their head. It just went straight up, I guess, and it was, it was all this intricate way that they did their hair, but their hair was up here. And in the 1600s, women said, we've had enough of that. We're not doing that no more. And so they let their hair down. They were going wild. It was rebellious. It was that rebellious attitude. That's where that comes from. Listen, that's what these women were doing in the church setting there. They were letting their hair down. The standard, the moral, cultural standard was that they brought, they wore their hair up. It wasn't to bring attention upon themselves. So the idea then in church is they're letting their hair down. So you got a, the, the preachers up here and all the women have let their hair down. <laughs> he, he's freaking out. He's never seen that. He never, he's seen his mama with her hair down. He's seen his sister with his hair down. But all these women now, they're letting their hair down. The, the glory of the woman is their, her hair and stuff. And so there was, it, was, it was kind of scandalous. This issue of head coverings is confusing in our modern culture, to say the least. Amen? I mean, we would think that's strange. Even Susan, she wore that. And I, 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 there was a time where I've seen women do that in church. In my lifetime, women would come in, they would wear a shawl or uh, uh, they would cover up somehow, kind of their heads and shoulders. But for the most part today, it, that, that would seem odd. If we came in this morning, there were 10 women in our church, we'd be like, what's happened to them? They go off to a convention this weekend and they've lost their minds. They've joined a cult. What have they done? That's what we, that's what we think. It wouldn't fit. It would seem strange. So if they were wearing this shawl or veil or some sort of head covering. Um, and, and so, like I said, in most churches in America today, that's not what we do. But yet there are some that do do that. They, they are still practicing that. But in that culture, at that time, not to wear a shawl meant that the woman was essentially saying, I'm not too, too concerned with the relationship with my husband. Because for a married woman to take her shawl off and let her hair loose like that and not be covered by a head covering would have meant she was saying, I'm available. That's kind of what it was saying. So it's bringing in the sinful culture of the day and it's throwing off the social, social norm. Even within that church, there was a social norm. And so there was this negative connotation. And it would have been the same way for a single woman. It would have, by letting her hair down, it would have, wouldn't have questioned her husband because she wouldn't marry, but it would have brought into question maybe her purity or her morality, okay? So one commentator says the only woman... Who, who did not wear them were the high-class mistresses of, of, of in, I'll get it out in a minute. Mistresses of influential uh, Corinthians. Also, slaves had their heads shaved, and the same practice was enacted as punishment for convicted adulteresses. That is to say that they would have their heads shaved. So if they were convicted uh, of, of being an adulteress, the punishment would be they would shave their head. 
So, so you see that it was either when they wore their hair down, it was, it was, what, it was it, what it was saying. They were, they were a mistress to some influential person in Corinth. And, and so those who were slaves, their heads were shaved. Or those who were um, convicted of a, as an adulteress, their heads were shaved. So apparently in the excitement of worship, certain women were tempted to throw back their hair. And Paul is saying that's probably not what you ought to do in this context. As important as it is for you to be able to recognize the freedom that you have to worship, that's not the way you should do it in the setting of the church. The heart of Paul's prohibition is essentially this. Do not unintentionally scandalize the order of creation. God created human beings in his image, male and female, and the members of each gender have the privilege to uniquely display God's image. Amen? And see, we're, we're about to, we're going to traipse into something you never would have thought, and I'm going to not spend a whole lot of time here, but we, we start dealing with gender issues right here from what we're seeing. Even though they are completely equal, there is an order to creation. Verses 7 through 9. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. Paul is not stating anything new here. Genesis tells us that Eve was created due to Adam's lack of a suitable mate. And when he finally laid eyes on her, here's what he said. He said, whoa, man. No, 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 that's not what he said. He might have said that. He might have thought it. It's not in Scripture. He said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Listen, when God, see, when, when God looks at man, he sees his own image. We are created in the image and likeness of God. He created man. When man looks at woman, he sees his image. She was made in the image of man, out of man. When Christians display this creational order in worship and in marriage, listen, folks, God is pleased with that. He created this. So you see what we're getting at. There's this creational order. We, we are one in Christ. But the one in Christ it, it relates to salvation. It does not do away with the creational order that God gave. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, man, woman. There is a creational order that God established. In the, go back to Genesis. Read it again. It's very clearly there. Gender distinctions are not a curse to be lamented, but a blessing to be celebrated. You know, there are women... Uh, who said amen? I love that. M Melinda, praise the Lord. I didn't mean to call attention to you, but I love that. Because you women ought to say Amen. You men ought to say, you know, men, men there was a day the Jews would have, there were Jews who, who, who said, thank God I wasn't born a woman. Because women were persecuted. They were kept down. Christianity has, has freed them. So we're, we're one. We're equal when it comes. And then when we're born again, man, we are the same. We are, we are, we are part of the body of Christ. But that does not undo the creational order that God established. For the home, for leadership within the church, it does not, it has not changed that. Paul is essentially saying everyone willingly submits to something. He says, don't conduct yourself in a way that would dishonor the one to whom you are submitting. Men, don't dishonor God by adopting idolatrous dress in worship. And, and, and to cover their heads, it would have brought dishonor to their head. God Almighty. Shouldn't do that. Women, don't dishonor God and your husband by adopting dress that calls your marital status into question or your modesty into question or single women, your purity into question. There's a way that we should dress in, in the corporate worship. That's what, it, that's what he's stressing here. Do not dress in a way that you dishonor the one that you are under authority to. Amen? Amen? Verse 10. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, I've read a lot in the last week and a half on this, and uh, I have no idea what Paul meant about the angels. No idea. 
And it doesn't seem that anybody else has a real good idea of what he meant either. 2,000 years, and we can't really today identify what exactly was Paul meaning by because of the angels. There are some who speculate. Nobody can give a real clear idea of what that meant there. But I can say this. Look what he says. The woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Now, he says a symbol, a symbol of authority. Now, let me say this. So you could, you could put a, this morning, you could come in and, Susan, you could put that shawl up over your head, right? You could put that over your head and over your shoulders and totally reject all authority in your life. Amen? You could wear that symbol of authority on your head and absolutely be in rebellion at your home when you're not submitted to the authority of Dave as a spiritual leader in the home. You could be in rebellion in the church with the spiritual leadership that's in the church. So, so having that, that head covering on wouldn't mean anything, right? You, you, you following me? Just because I do that doesn't mean I'm in submission to someone. You can be in total rebellion on the inside while appearing submitted on the outside. For all of us, the real question is, who is our authority? And am I submitted to that authority? You know, I, I come up here without a hat on my head. I, I, I don't, you know, I think this is where not wearing a hat in church comes in. This is the principle of that. You come into the house of God, you shouldn't have a hat on your head. A lot of that comes from this right here. A lot of it comes from cultural stuff where we come in. Man, you're in a building. Men take their hats off. That's why we have a hat rack back there. Is you come in, you take your hat off, and you, and you, and you set it there. And I, I, We've had people come in wearing a hat, and I've had guys come to me, they got to take that hat off. Okay, uh, you go tell them. Um, but the question, you know, I, I can come up here without the hat on, and according to this, then, that, that, then, I'm, then I'm honoring my head, Christ. But I can be an absolute rebellion toward Christ and appear to you like everything's fine. The real question this morning is, am I submitted to the authority that I'm under in the creational order? Am I submitted to that in my heart? Am I, am I okay with that? Man, you women ought to embrace the fact that you're a woman. You have, you have roles and, and responsibilities men don't have. And, uh, man, you shouldn't see that as a, as a negative. You should see that as a positive. Men, the same way. You shouldn't reject the, the, the position of authority you have. You shouldn't abuse that position. It, it wasn't created for you to ogre over a woman. It's to lead her, to love her, to care for her, protect her, provide for her. So do those things. So the real question is, am I submitted to the authority in my life? Verses 13 through 15, judge among yourselves. Paul says, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is an, a dishonor to him? Now, I'm going to tell you, I struggled for a long time with that verse because does not even nature. You read it as, as we read it right there. You go, well, I mean, does that mean, does men's hair fall out when it gets a certain length? Does it stay a certain shortness? I mean, is that, well, I, I, that doesn't make sense because a man's hair can be just as long as a woman's. I mean, what's the Pimrose? Something, Gary Pimrose, whatever his name is, that sings with uh, Penrod. Sings with um, Gaithers. Yeah, see, I can't remember anything. That's why I write it down. I can remember, but he has long hair, right? So, so, okay, nature doesn't cut his hair short, and, and a woman can have short hair. Her, her hair is not long just because she's a woman. So th the nature there, it, it's not nature in the sense of what we think of nature. Mother nature takes care of that. You know, and when your hair gets too long, a lion attacks you and chews your hair off. That's how that works. No, no, no. No, what he's saying here, and, but look, we'll, we'll read verse 15 now, go on. But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Paul makes a direct appeal to nature, by which he means this. It's the way things are. He's speaking to culture. The way things are at that time, in that place, in that church, that was the culture of the day. And, and, it was, and it revealed that. So for a man to have that long hair, I'm gonna, and I've, I've shared this. I have to be careful. I told Raymond this the other day. I'd be careful. I'd get, get my legalism stuck on me a little bit. And, and I, I, mean, I know some pastors that have long hair. It bothers me. I think, man, if somebody looks at you and wonders, you know, you're, you're the preacher? I don't, you know, I struggle with that a little bit. 
But it, but it hasn't, it, it, it goes back to the heart. Not whether his hair's long or not. It goes back to the heart. In our culture, the long hair doesn't say what it said in the culture then. What was coming into the church, what they were doing in the church were cultural things that were contrary to, to God, contrary to, the, to what they should be doing as believers. It was contrary to that. It was throwing off that order. Are you with me? Is that clear as mud? Is it clear? Okay. So Paul obviously knows that men can have long hair. There was the Nazarite vow. They would grow their hair out. So that wasn't the case. So he, he, here he appeals to the common practice of, of that day to support his case. Uh, he's, setting, he, he's setting cultural distinctions. And that's what Paul's dealing with right here. Now, I'm going to tell you, you can read 10 different guys, like, like when I talk about when I preach Revelation. You, you can preach on this issue. You can read 10 different guys and get 10 different answers. Uh, John MacArthur says this is absolutely cultural. That's, that's the extent of this. It's a cultural thing about the head covering. Um, J. Vernon McGee goes as far as say he has no problem with women preachers and teachers. I wouldn't have expected that from either of those guys. Another pastor I was reading, he believes that it absolutely is applicable for us today. You read a lot of the writers from the 1800s, they write as though, I mean, this guy who makes Ironside, awesome. But he kind of makes the case that this is for us still, that women should cover their hair, could cover up when they pray or teach. I think you can tell where I've come down. That was a cultural thing for that day. So let's, let's look at some things. Pastor, and you guys can come on up. I'm going to hit about seven things, hopefully real quick here, just to what does this mean to try to wrap it up and, and consolidate this. Number one, so what does this mean for us? So number one, Paul is addressing God-given authority and our submission to that authority in our lives. In that, in that culture, head covering uh, was a symbol of that submission. Uh, that's not our culture today. God, uh, what God does look at is our heart. He knows if we are submitted in our heart to the authority in our lives. That, that's what God looks at. Now, there's some ways that you could come into church that would bring in... Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So that's the first thing. It was a cultural thing. Our culture is different today. Number two, men should dress like men and women should dress like women. And don't bring into the church practices from idolatrous worship or sinful culture. In the 60s, why did men wear long hair? It was rebellion, right? It was a rebellion against the society, against culture, against Christian. It was, a, it was a rebellion against the establishment or whatever. That would have been, and, and I can understand now why that would have been seen in that culture. That would have been seen very negatively, almost like this would, if men come in with long hair. You, you following now? So it has to do with, with our attitude. Are we rebelling against God-given authority or are we submitted to it? So men should dress like men and women should dress like women. Y'all like skinny jeans? Y'all like men in skinny jeans? Okay. I, I, asked, I asked the wrong question because I asked and Lynn was going, yeah, I do. I said, on men? And she went, oh, no. I could tell she had a different uh, question. I said, oh, no. So, you know, I, I think that's one of those cultural things today that to me is, y'all don't want to see me in, in skinny jeans. No worries. It ain't going to happen. Uh, number three, modesty. Don't bring into question your modesty and purity, uh, married or single. Look, the way you dress, you, you should dress different. That don't mean you got to come in here and look like a prude from 1880, but it does mean you should dress modest. And, and there's some things today that are very popular. Uh, I, had, I had, can I share? Miss Linda, can I share? Okay, so Miss Linda asked me about dressing in Israel. And she said, would it be okay in Israel to wear um, leggings? To wear leggings as long as there's something over them. I said, absolutely. I, I, I imagine they're very comfortable. If I ever wore leggings, I might, I, I, might would, I might would like them. I don't know. I used to wear bicycle shorts under my shorts when I played softball. And they, were, you know, they, they, they felt good. It was, you know, I like that. 
So maybe Leggings, I may, I may try that. Wear it under my suit. You know, wear my, I won't tell you. No. But that absolutely, if you wear, look, leggings can be very immodest. Can I just say that? I want you to understand. Leggings can be very immodest. If you're not covering up, you don't leave a lot to the imagination right there. So I, I, would, I would encourage you, cover up. And I loved the question because she was concerned with modesty. If I wear that and I cover up, is that okay? Absolutely. Absolutely be fine in that culture. Number, number four, gender roles. Well, these gender roles, men be men. Look like men, serving the roles God has given you as men. Amen. That's in your home. That's in the church. You know why women are leading a lot of churches and, and in rebellion to what God has told them to do? You know why they're doing that? Because you men are being rebellious and not doing what God's told you to do by leading in the church. And when a man won't lead at home, the woman's going to have to lead. So lead. Men be men and lead. Women be women. Look like women. serving the role that God has given you as a woman. And thank God for it. Gender is God-given. Don't throw it off. Don't confuse it. Don't despise your gift uh, in life. Rejoice in the, in the gender that God has blessed you with. God gave you your gender. It ain't yours to decide to be something else. It ain't yours to say, I'm not that. You are that. There are two genders. It's amazing. For 2,020 years, there was male and female. All of a sudden, we got 150 genders. I'm on the internet. Not for long. <laughs> Look, a lot of this gets into, it really does, and I, I say this in all seriousness and, and with great concern, a lot of that gets into mental illness. That's what that gets into. And folks, I love those people. But, and your desires, they get their hearts right with the Lord. But that, that, is a, that is a, God has created you, male or female. Number five, submit to authority. You know, the picture in here, when, when, it, says, when it says there that um, verse three, and the head of Christ is God, there's a, there's a Trinitarian authority there. We see that. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The three are one and the three are equal. Amen. They're equal. But each has a different role. Christ submits to the Father. He submits to the Father. Is He equal with the Father? He's absolutely equal with the Father. He submits to the Father. The Holy Spirit submits to the Father and to the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, and to the Son. The, Father, the, the Holy Spirit submits to the Father and to the Son. So there's a submission within the Trinity. And so when we look at that, we see it's humble and it's strength. It's not resented. Within the Trinity. And, it's, and it's, we should view that the same way. We should rejoice in the role that God has created us in. We should not usurp authority, not given to us, and, but we should embrace the gender role that God has blessed us with. That we should, we should do. Sometimes women usurp the authority of men by assuming the authority of men, leadership in the marriage, uh, pastoring. Eldership, those are roles that were not given by Scripture, were not given to women. And women want to take those roles, and it's usurping the authority that God has laid down in Scripture very clearly. Um, other times there's a usurping of that by rejection of all authority. And listen, if you reject God-given authority, you reject God's authority. If you, if you don't come in line under the authority, if I reject authority in my life, that God has put in my life, I'm rejecting His authority. Okay? Number six, women should wear the head covering. So here's the yes. You should wear the head covering of submission. Doesn't mean you have to put something on your head. It just means in your heart, you're submitted, you understand your role, your blessed role as a woman, and you embrace that role, and you submit in that role. Men, men should not wear a head covering in submission. Does that make sense? I, I don't know that it'd be sinful to come up here. I, would, I couldn't do it. I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't come up here with a hat on and preach with a hat. I couldn't do it. Um, but I think I've not got the hat on when I'm submitted to Christ. I'm submitted to Him in my heart in that way. That's the submission by showing that. I, I hope... I hope that makes sense. I hope that hasn't muddied it up more, more, more 
for you than what it was before. I hope that's given some clarity for you this morning. So I'm going I'm to just I'm going to encourage you with this this morning. We'll, we'll have a time to, to reflect on this. It's not a it's not a message this morning, other than maybe if 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 you if you would say you know what I've I've had a problem with submission. I've had a problem with 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 placing myself under God-given authority. Maybe that's something you need to deal with this morning. But also this morning, you know, if you're with us here and you've never placed your faith and your trust in Christ Jesus and, you, and, and in Him alone for your salvation, then today is the day of salvation. God, God, God saw us in our sin. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, hopelessly lost. And God, because He loved us, sent His Son Jesus who came and became a part of his own creation, lived a sinless life, and he went to the cross of Calvary, and he took your place, and he took my place, and he took our sin upon himself, and he died in our place for our sin. He paid the debt, and he invites us today into a personal relationship with him. There is no way for us to come to, faith, come to salvation other than through faith in Christ Jesus. It is only through a personal relationship with Him. Receiving the gift that He offers. This morning, if, you, if you're not certain that, you have a, that, that you've been born again, that you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I would plead with you today to step out when we have this time of invitation. Step out, come down here. I'd love to take the Scriptures and, and just introduce you to Jesus this morning. Father, I pray that, uh, Lord, as we go into this time of, uh, of reflection, this time of response, this time of invitation, that you would just you would move on our hearts. You know what uh, is going on. Father, you could be dealing with someone uh, that through the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit here this morning had nothing to do with the message. But Lord, you are dealing with hearts. You're dealing with needs. And I pray that this morning we would respond to whatever it is you're doing in our lives. That we wouldn't let Satan tell us, oh, you don't, you don't need to deal with that. You don't need to worry about that. Father, if you're, if you're speaking to our hearts, I pray we'll respond. We'll be obedient. If it's through prayer, if it's through talking with someone, God, just do what needs to be done. And if there's even one that needs to be saved this morning, Lord, I pray you'd squeeze their heart so hard it couldn't leave here today without getting that right with you. Bless now in this invitation.